0: Tunes made episode 8. I'm Mark. I'm Ray. And this week, we're going to talk about songs that you think charted higher than they actually did. And that actually happens a lot. There's a lot of music that's out there over and over and over. These songs get played, you know, classic rock radio, any genre you can think of. I know that you are a big 80s on 8 guy, you know, you got 90s at 9, (laughs) you've got all these stations that are continually playing these songs, Do you think, oh yeah, that had to go high. Well, guess what? I think you're going to be shocked today at some of the songs we're going to talk about that actually didn't chart that high at all.
1: Yeah, it's always kind of amazing to me. I I think back to when I started following the charts in 1987, got hooked on MTV and music that summer, and started listening to Rick D's Weekly Top 40, and that was based off of Radio and Records, not Billboard. Then before before not too long, I had switched over to Casey Kasem's American Top 40, and uh, the Billboard chart. And by a year later, I was occasionally buying Billboard magazine. Two years later, I had a subscription. And one of the things that was interesting to me was that, so it's it's 87, I would start looking back or I'd find books like the Joel Whitborn book that I use now, but the old edition from like 1986. And I'd see other things that would tell me how songs did and I would I would see songs from you know the early to mid '80s before I started following the charts and the chart and I'd be like no way that couldn't have done that you know and that was like my one of my first real exposures to uh-huh. the real sort of first reflection on wow a song you thought did really well or you thought went could, had to have gone to number one or something actually didn't
0: well let me ask you a question about that because is it more of like a a psychological blow. Cause it's like, oh my gosh, the song that I love—it's got to be number one. Is it? Is it just kind of a, a kind of a blow to your psyche that the song that you thought would be definitely on top the charts, or is it is just kind of a letdown? It, is it? What side of the, the fence were you generally on?
1: I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. It may depend on the context. I think a blow to your psyche maybe is a, a bit too strong. It's certainly <laughs> a letdown. Yeah. But but then I think but then you know what I think. So I said in '87s when I started getting in the chart, mm-hmm. uh, one song that helped make that for me is my favorite song of all time, "Here I Go Again" by White mm-hmm. And I remember in September and October, you know, following it, and it was in the top ten. And uh, by that time, it had become my favorite song, because when I first heard it, I, or when I first heard about it, before I kind of listened to it, I didn't really care. Then I like listened to it, and I was like, wow, I love this song. And uh, I remember it was October 10th, 1987, the week of, it hit number one. And to me, it was like destiny. And I remember that it only lasted one week at number one and the next week it was out. And I was like, how can that be? It's, you know, the greatest song of all time. And now Aww. I don't know that that haunts me or anything, but I think that if that hadn't gone number one, I don't know, maybe it would have influ it would have sort of, you know, influenced me a little bit. Maybe I wouldn't have, thought the chart was so cool you know so interesting that's a good question it's a good question
0: yeah because like for me especially if i'm out playing live events as a dj there's a bunch of songs that are in my bag that i play a lot and one of the Mm -hmm. songs that i think about that i was surprised that didn't chart high was the song by the romantics what i Mm -hmm. like about you yeah what i like about you yeah that song as soon as you hear that riff you're out there, you're dancing, it's played on rock radio. But surprisingly, the song that's higher is Talking In Your Sleep. I believe yeah. that went top 10. That was a yeah. huge hit for them. But what yeah. I like about you, I don't even believe it went top 40. No, peaked at number 49, didn't yeah. even hit top 40. But that song right there, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. That's, yeah. That song gets more airplay than the other song. Even though you know both songs, but when you think about the romantics, you think about that harmonica solo, how that song gets you pumped up. If you merge that song into any set, generally people are out there dancing along to it. I don't know if right. it's one of those things where during the first time it charted, it took a little while for it to grow on you, and now it is popular. But I think there's a lot of songs like that where you, you go, "Oh, it, that's got to be a top 10 hit in no way."
1: Right. You know, I think what you mentioned about that initial popularity. Or lack thereof, and then, but then it kind of catches on later. I think that's certainly a theme with some things. Uh, I mean, that I think what I like about you is a great example. It's it's crazy to think that the the Michael Morales remake of that, you know, like nine year, eight year, nine years later, did better than the original you know nothing against the Michael Morales version but the Romantics one is the one that is the the 80s staple like mm-hmm. you talked about uh one of the songs that strikes me like that is the weather girls it's raining men you know you th- oh come on that was a top 10 hit right no stalled at 46
0: i mean that song gets you- played in movies it's it's embraced by so many cultures yeah no mm-hmm. that 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 definitely blows me away yeah and i've got another one that's kind of in that same that same feeling it's not on the dance charts, but I'm going to go on the rock charts. What about crazy train Ozzy Osbourne?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah.
0: the song that you always think about that. Oh yeah. That's, that's gotta be at least top 40. I mean, maybe number 39, 38 didn't even go in, into the top 100.
1: Yeah. It didn't even make the chart. Yep. It just blows me away. Like what? Yep. <laughs> that another one like that for me is, uh, George Thurgood and the Destroyers, "Bad to the Bone," right? Never even charted. And one of the things that hmm. I think uh, strikes me about this, and the song that brings it home for me, one of those early songs that I first started following the charts, and then I found out it didn't do what I thought it did, is the original "Home Sweet Home" by Motley Crue, right? So, so the, the original "Home Sweet Home" peaked at eighty-nine. I mean, it barely charted. Eighty-nine. spent a few weeks on the chart, peaked at eighty-nine. Now, they did do the remake in late 91, early 92, and that hit the top 40, though barely at 37, but that original one. And I think one of the things for me, and this this plays a role with George Thurgood and the Destroyer, might play a role with Ozzy Osbourne, maybe not, I'm not sure so much with that song, but with other songs I think it does as well, is the, the significance of MTV. There were songs, there were videos that MTV played in heavy rotation that you would if you were watching MTV you would have thought okay that's a big hit but even though MTV was playing the heck out of it it didn't get the radio play it needed to do well on the hot 100 chart so home sweet home to me is the perfect example i mean that was a huge i mean that was huge on MTV they played that all the time and that it didn't even hit the top 40 hot for teacher by van halen Another one. I mean, I remember voting for that in Friday Night Video Fights, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't hit the top 40. And um, another one, Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime. Remember that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was okay. You know, that had to have been, right? 85, you know, whatever. No, peaked at 91.
0: Wow. Yeah, and there's a similar one. So it's getting a lot of MTV airplay, but not necessarily on the radio. Think about Billy Idol. He was huge. He had a song, "Rebel Yell." That song didn't make it top forty, but you think, you think, Billy Idol—that's one of them, right? "Rebel Yell," amazing, right?
1: It, it's it's right up there. I mean, it's 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 one of those ones, you know. And, and that's a that's an example of somebody who had a number of top twenty, top ten hits, mm-hmm. right? You know, "Moni Moni" was his biggest hit, hit number one.
0: A remake,
1: yeah, remake, right? Well, and it's funny because that's not, you know, that that's probably not. His most famous song, that's Eyes Without a Face, I think. But, you know, what, that stalled it four. Well, I mean, it's still a great hit, but it went to like four, not number one. That reminds me of Europe, The Final Countdown. My big hit hit the top ten, but went to number eight. I mean, I remember thinking, oh, wait a minute. That had to have been, you know, it wasn't a number one hit. It was pretty yeah. darn close. Well, not quite. Eight.
0: Yeah, we know? were talking and, about this, too, about Chumbawamba. Same oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's got to be a number one hit. Just yep. just went top ten, right?
1: Yeah, went top ten, went top five, but not not number one. Yep. Or I mean, the other one, what a few weeks ago you mentioned, "All I Want to Do" by Cheryl Crow, which you'd think, okay, come on, that song was huge, right? Went to number two, and part of it is who you're up against. It's kind of like. I always kind of keep making these connections to sports, but it's kind of like the the Buffalo Bills of the early 90s, right? Losing four straight Super Bowl. So the Bills never won the Super Bowl, but it's because they just happened to come up against these, these better teams, right? And so all I want to do, spent six weeks at number two. I think it was six weeks. Well, the reason was because boys to men, I'll make love to you was like had a, a grip hold on the number one spot. That's what happened to Foreigner with Waiting for a Girl Like You, too. You know, uh, what physical had a a grip on the the number one spot. And so, you know, sometimes songs, and now we're talking about big hits, right? We're talking about songs that hit number two. I mean, that's, there's only one more spot you can go after that. And, you know, some some of these hits, they didn't hit the top 40, they didn't hit the top, uh, the, the Hot 100. And, but these other ones, it was a matter of they did well. They just never quite got to that pinnacle and it's because they just, the wrong competition was there for them to to do it. You know, you, that, that one yeah. song doesn't exist at that time and well, you got a number one hit.
0: So we talked about that the MTV airplay and the radio play maybe didn't match up. Now we've got competition. I've got another one I was thinking about, which is maybe the thing that you did somewhere else could be hurting you and your chart position could fall down. One I think about is, Van Halen, right now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I th- it, it didn't even go top 40. I believe it went to like 55, something like yep. that. They decided to use their song for Crystal Pepsi. It was in right. all the Crystal Pepsi commercials. Crystal Pepsi was a flop. Right, right. <laughs> so if you take your song and associate it with something else, even though you're thinking, oh, yeah, we're, we're, this is definitely a good business move. It could be detrimental (laughs) to your uh, chart position.
1: Or at the very least, I mean, I don't know that, you know, whether or not people not liking Crystal Pepsi made them not like that song. The thing is that we think of songs as significant because we use them in some other capacity. So Van Halen's right now, I mean, it's a great example. Yeah. It went to 55 and you'd think, I mean, I mean, I, I remember following it on the chart right when it happened. And I was like, no way, man. And, and there was, and I think one of the things with that is that that was a song that gets used in all these other capacities, right? So they play it at stadiums, right? That, you know, cause that, that opening piano riff is so, you know, like you want to, you want something like that provides a buildup, you got it. And so you play that for various things in terms of a pop song. It just didn't catch the radio, one of the ones that does that for me uh, this was one of those songs I talk about why you know I started following the chart and I started looking back and and I was shocked when I found out that born in the USA only went to number nine Bruce Springsteen I mean that song was everywhere when it came out oh yeah uh, I mean it, it was in but it was used in commercials President Reagan erroneously but he referred to it you know it was played at at celebration, you know, at 4th of July still like gets that. played. Yeah, totally. It to- still gets played of the like six or seven top 10 hits that Springsteen had off that album. It's like the, the sixth or seventh highest one, you know, like, uh-huh. like dancing in the dark was this big hit that went to number two. And, you know, some of the other ones went to like number six and born in the USA only went to number nine. And I just, to this day, that, Shocks me because Springsteen's an example of somebody who never hit number one. And, you know, I years ago on Tuesday, probably, you know, eight, nine years ago, I did a thing that was on uh, artists who never hit number one. And my argument was, I think of all the ones we can think of, uh, Springsteen probably would be my pick for the artist who had the big the the most successful pop music career without hitting number one. I don't know if I'd say the best artist, because like Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash never hit number one, but they mm-hmm. weren't the pop hit type of musician the way Springsteen was.
0: Yeah, and one band that, as you're talking about this, so I think about Bruce Springsteen, but I think about the 80s, and the band Rush comes to my mind. hmm hmm I mean, you go, they're everywhere, right? They've got, I think their biggest charting song is what, something, is it New World Man? I think. Yeah. Something like that, and you're like, "Oh yeah, no, it's it's got to be Tom Sawyer." I mean, that song was everywhere. That that, that keyboard riff, the drums. That song didn't even go top forty. Right.
1: Yeah, Tom Th- uh, Tom Sawyer just missed out on top top forty, and and Rush's only top forty hit was, as you said, "New World Man," and it didn't even make top twenty. It was twenty one.
0: And I believe the highest song is "Take Off" yeah. with Mackenzie <laughs> Brothers featuring Getty Lee which I believe went top 10, if I'm uh, not correct. Uh, top 20. It went top to like 16. It's it's so funny that a comedy song goes higher. Total joke. Those guys probably didn't even think that was going to chart, and right. it goes really high. So you right. go, oh, wait, that, wait, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, Tom Sawyer, that gets played night and day. And the same with another one I wrote down was Iron Man by Black Sabbath. Another, yeah, you know, yeah, Ozzy Osbourne yeah, song yeah. that always gets played at big sporting events. That driving beaten beginning—I don't even think that one top forty.
1: Right. Another another one that strikes me—an '80s classic. When yeah. you, I mean, if you listen to '80s on eight, if you do uh, find lists of the the classic '80s hits mm-hmm. or uh, CDs that have you know, your ultimate 80s mixtape and stuff, you might very easily find uh, Modern English's I Melt With You on there. That's a, a staple. It Well, it hit the chart twice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: First time it went to 78, second time it went to 76. I mean, it didn't even come close to hitting the top
0: 40. That's amazing. That Isn't song it? gets played nonstop. I mean, every, yep. every weekend mix, every feel-good mix, they throw that in there.
1: Right that's one of those ones that and again it, it was one of those ones that had two two chances two tries yeah two tries and it, it I mean didn't even come close and I mean there's some other songs they they charted twice and I mean they did hit the top 40 one time but they didn't maybe do as well as you thought what about me by moving pictures oh yeah right so you know went went to number 29 so it was a top 40 hit but not a huge hit and then it got brought back in 89 but it didn't even hit the top 40 number 46.
0: Right. That song was played nonstop. You turn the radio on, yeah. That was there.
1: Yep. And and the other one, I always say my vote for the uh, the best. It's not, you know, I said here I go against my favorite song, but if I had to pick like the one song that I think is the best pop song ever, I go within your eyes by Peter Gabriel. Yeah. I, I, I think there's there's such there's such uh, depth to that song, mm-hmm. and it's one that charted twice, and so it was originally released off of so. You know, after a sledgehammer, and, and it went to number 26, so moderate hit. But then it, it got that fame from being used in Say Anything. And, you know, John Cusack pulled the radio there with up. The boom box. And so it got played again, and it worked its way up the chart and stalled out at 41. Didn't. So people know that song from Say Anything. That was the resurgence of it. Not enough to even get it to the top 40.
0: Man, that is amazing how a song can come back twice. Right. But maybe that adds to its folklore because the fact that you heard it so many times you go, Oh yeah, yeah, it's just it's just gotta be higher than it is because right. you heard it twice. So maybe that right. has a little added notoriety to the song. I was thinking about one, so Journey. You know, Steve Perry, he recently yep. came back, he released a solo album. He's telling everybody, No, I'm not gonna join Journey again. Arnell, the lead singer now for Close to, I think, fifteen years. He stepped in. He's like, "No, it's his gig. I don't want to do it." So everyone's keying on journey. So don't stop believing. You know that song's really high. But there's another ballad, "Lights." You know when the lights go down in the city. That song didn't go top forty. Nope. Is you know it's within. I think it's what around like sixty seven, somewhere around sixty eight, somewhere around there. You got it. But uh, yeah, that song. Is one of their popular songs. Without a set, that song is always played within a Journey set. You know, everyone puts up their big lighters. You know, that's the song that gets played. Amazing, okay. you know. It's it's I, still within that ballad category.
1: I love that you mentioned Journey because I've got Journey down on my notes for mm-hmm. multiple reasons. I think first of all, what you mentioned with lights is a great example. For that first that like you were exact. You're right on the money. It's, it went to number sixty eight in nineteen seventy eight and that was another one that had two shots they, they got played again in the early 90s and they they knew they did a new version of it and it went to 74 so it took two shots didn't even come close to the top 40 and so that's a good song that's a good song for that idea of the song oh that come on that had to have been a top 40 hit and it, it wasn't but one of the other things about Journey they're on that list of artists who never had a number one hit amazing I mean, yeah, think about how big Journey was in the early eighties, right? How huge they were. They never made it to number one. The biggest hit, open arms, six weeks at number two. Hell some of the songs that they have that are that sort of stand the test of time you mentioned Don't Stop Believing. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that that gets used everywhere. People know it from The Sopranos. They know it from Glee. They know it from use, like, everywhere. There's a I
0: book mean, on it. it. Jonathan Canger released a book called Don't Stop Believin'.
1: Yeah. I mean, people who, you know, weren't born for 20 years after that song was released know that song. Mm-hmm. Right? And think of it as, it, it went to number nine. Number nine. It, it Yeah, barely squeezed so- into the top ten. And the other one for me is Faithfully. Another one, right? Yeah. Huge power ballad. Gotta
0: be number one.
1: played at wedding after wedding after wedding. Number 12.
0: Number 12. Well, here's one. So they even came back, remember, in the, I think it was like 96. You know, yeah. Mid-90s. So they, they reunited. There's a lot of energy around them. There were still album sales happening at that time. They released, what is it, When You Love a Woman?
1: When You Love a Woman.
0: Yep. Right. I think it barely made top 20. It hit number 12. So. Number 12, okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. so it was up yep. there. But you think, with all that it, energy, it had to be right. higher than that. I mean, that ballad was played over and over and over again. And if you listen to that song, everyone says, oh yeah, that's probably one of the one of the top ballads written in the 90s. Or some people even say of all time. Nope. Right.
1: And another band... Another classic band, and we've talked about them before, in part because they're so easy to talk about, is Queen.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Queen had a couple number one hits. Crazy Little Thing Called Love, Another One Bites the Dust hit number one. You know, they had other top ten hits, right? Bohemian Rhapsody did it twice. Twice. That's It's a song that had two two chances and made good on both chances. We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions hit number four, okay? So I just named four Queen songs. Those were their only top ten hits. OK, think of all the other Queen songs, you know, and and know that none of those other ones hit the top 10. Somebody to Love never hit the top 10 under pressure. Right. Right. Went to number 29. That's it. That's it.
0: OK, that one, that hurts because they play that <laughs> like it is was, was going out of style.
1: Right. And I want to break free. Right. You see it in commercials. Oh, yeah. You see it in all kinds of stuff. Forty
0: five. Well, that's, that's <laughs> hard to believe. <laughs> These
1: blow your mind.
0: don't Yeah. They? Like you said, it's what were they up against? I also start thinking about like, where in their career are they? You know, they've been out for a while. Do people right. just get used to the fact that they're around? Yeah. You know, like, Oh yeah. It's journey. They're going to be around for another 10 years. They're going to keep cranking out music. They've been around for a little while. Or you think, oh, yeah. Or was it the fourth or fifth song off that album? Because that's what happened a lot back then too. Is right. You didn't have right. this like one song per album released. It was no, we've got ten songs, and we released six or seven singles off of it. And now we're on the seventh single, kind of getting right. a little long in the tooth here with this right. with this album not going to chart as high.
1: And the other thing I think is, especially when you talk about rock acts, is that a lot of their marketing was geared toward album sales rather than song sales. So especially as you get into, as you yeah. mentioned, like when you get into later parts of people's career, later Queen, people were buying the album rather than simply buying the single. And so mm-hmm. it was getting, so you might think it did well because you heard it through Airplay. You heard, you heard a lot of it, but it wasn't getting the sales off of single sales because people were just buying the album. That's what ha- If you talked about Rush, that's exactly the state the situation with rush 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 songs would get play on the radio but they were never they were never big sellers in terms of uh cassette singles or 45s or cd singles you know whatever the the stage and media music media was uh-huh, uh-huh. because people bought the album you know, rush people like rush they bought the album yeah and, and and there are other acts that are like that one of the the most i mean the who only had one top 10 hit I can see for miles, and they had some other top forty hits.
0: Led Zeppelin, yeah, I Led believe Zeppelin, they only right. had what two?
1: They they had I think uh, I gotta remember, but I think they only had like one top twenty and like, hit. And and again, it was because yeah, people buy the album. Uh, yeah, they had one one top ten hit, number four, a whole, whole lot of love,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Then they had two other, uh, th- uh, three other top twenty hits. So yeah, I was thinking top ten instead of top twenty instead of top ten. I mean, Stairway to Heaven didn't even chart. And it's again, it's where people with Led Zeppelin, it was clearly, you know, you didn't buy Stairway to Heaven, you bought Led Zeppelin 4. Yeah. Well, what? Played the album.
0: And I was even thinking, I'm jumping back, you know, I think into the 90s, and we talked about this on a prior podcast, but what was it? Natalie and Bruglia? Was, oh, yeah. was it Torn? Yeah. I think yep. she was just a brutal, harsh leftover from, from the charts that her yep. song didn't even make yeah. the charts, right?
1: It barely did right at the end of its run because Billboard changed the rules right toward the end. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. It was a it was a consequence of they didn't release it as a single and Billboard's rules were you had to be released as a single to chart on the Hot 100. Uh So it spent like 11 weeks at the top of the airplay charts the airplay chart because in in 98 i mean that song was everywhere and it was it was huge but it didn't get any sales because it wasn't released as a single and then right toward the end of its run in late 98 billboard said well the the industry is changing we're now you don't have to be released as a single we're going to go off of things like airplay and then eventually they move to like uh youtube play and other media play and so yeah, Torn is a great example of how it got kind of uh, screwed out of doing well because it wasn't a single. Another one like that is Into the Groove by Madonna. Huge hit. I mean...
0: I remember you talked about this too in the past.
1: Yeah, but it never charted because it wasn't released as a single. Yeah. Or was a, I think it was a B-side, but it wasn't mm-hmm. officially released as its own single. And so you think of Madonna and all her top 10 hits and everything, but Into the Groove isn't one of them because it back in 84 you know 83 yeah. 84 it wasn't those are
0: the rules yeah so that's interesting though so so far we've got more album oriented we've got charts change so you bottom out you don't make it right. you've got the fact that mtv plus airplay didn't really pan out that sometimes you can come back and forth on the chart a couple times then you got competition right. i'm even thinking about I'm even going further back. Seems like a lot of our examples from the eighties, we just talked about the nineties. I was looking at something from the sixties, mm-hmm. a song mm-hmm. that you think, Oh yeah, what a wonderful world, Louis Armstrong. I mean, I think about yeah. how many commercials that's then, how many weddings yeah. that get played as oh, that's our father daughter dance. Didn't even make the top one hundred.
1: Right. It didn't. It's uh it's re reversion. So when it was used in Good morning Vietnam in nineteen eighty eight. Okay. It hit it hit the top forty then.
0: Reversion. But,
1: but originally in the sixties, it didn't yeah, it didn't even hit the hot one hundred.
0: Ah, so I stand corrected. So this is one of those reissues.
1: Yeah, the the reissue, the one that was used in Good Morning Vietnam, it went to thirty two. And I remember that. And I remember that was back when I was really heavy following the charts, mm-hmm. and the chart stuff. And you know, another one from the 60s. And I got to give a little shout out to uh, Paul Dompier. He follows us and follows me on Twitter, and then follows Toonsmate through that. Uh, he's he sort of helped spark this whole whole idea for this conversation because I posted about uh, Sweet Caroline by uh, Neil Diamond oh, a few yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul, I mean Paul, he's already same age as you and me and he's been he's followed the charts you know a good a number of years before i did so probably by the time he was eight nine ten years old in the early 80s he was following the charts they're following the billboard hot 100 chart and the other charts and stuff and and he said so you know sweet caroline is from 1969 so it predates him and me and you by a few years and he said that's shocking that that didn't go to number one you know he, he said that's one of those songs that he would have thought I mean because look at how much it gets played Sweet Caroline it's it's at Boston Red Sox uh, games they play it at other sports events it gets used in films it gets used all over the place Re- reaching out touching me touching you I mean that that's it's such a an iconic song and it it peaked at number 4
0: You got to think that's a number 1 song
1: Right, the, the and the newer one, the one that that's, that really strikes me among newer songs. So uh-huh. the past, say, fifteen to twenty years, is Miley Cyrus. Okay, uh-huh. like if you if I didn't follow the charts and if I didn't follow the Hot 100 chart, and you asked me, okay, what was Miley Cyrus's biggest hit? you know, you might say wrecking ball. wrecking ball or you might say wrecking ball and you'd be right because that was, that's actually her only number one hit. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I very likely could have said party in the USA. I mean, that thing seemed like it was everywhere 10 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It stalled at number two. Didn't make it. Didn't make it three weeks
0: at number two competition.
1: It, that's exactly right. It was what competition did it go up against? And it, stalled out at number two and that's it yep that that whole idea again and and so you, as you've identified there's we can come up with good five six different reasons mm-hmm. why songs don't do as well as you think and as you know as somebody who studies the chart uh, studies the hot 100 chart who who does a lot with it i, I always think it, it kind of goes back to my whole idea that I've come to, especially in the last few years, uh, and right, especially f- as I've been writing for tunes Made, I think writing for tunes has really helped crystallize this for me is that the, the chart, the hot 100 chart or charts in general that, if, you know, if somebody follows the country chart or the R and B chart or something, but certainly the hot 100 chart is more of a, a historical marker than it is a window into what was the most successful, because these other factors like things that you mentioned the competition you're under you know when did your song peak so you know if your song huh. didn't get heavy airplay when it first came out but then it later got used in commercials or movies and everything you know that that plays a role stuff like that those all factor in and so songs don't do as well as you might think because of just the circumstances and so I always think it's it's more useful to think of the Hot 100 chart as just kind of a historical marker, right? Hey, we look back and say, yeah, you know, back in 1983, these were the songs that were popular, and this happened to be the number one song, and these other ones were at three and five, and you name it. Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be like, okay, that means this was the, the big song. Well, no, that means it was one of the big ones. But it tells us kind of gives us just a historical marker of this is what was going on at that time. And I can go back and say, oh, yeah, I remember that song from the summer of 86 or I remember that song from Christmas time in 82 or, you know, you name it. And I think that that ends up being my sense of what the Hot 100 charts probably most effective purpose is.
0: Yeah. I, I looked at the Billboard Top 200 album chart today. Mm hmm. And Tool is number mm-hmm. one, right? You know, alternative rock band recharting. They haven't had an album out for a while, but you think about it, you know, their songs aren't getting played in pop radio. It's mm-hmm. more about the the sell of that album because there actually are physical copies still being sold. You know, not mm-hmm. that, as many as in the past, but you know, there might be a you know hundred thousand copies or something being sold right now. I'm not sure of the exact numbers. But if we were to look back at the chart now, you'd say, oh, well, Tool, they've, they've got to be huge. They've got to be getting a lot of their music played. Now The question is, is that fueling the new environment now, which we've talked about a lot here on this podcast, about the fact that many people are going to shows now, going to festivals, watching them live, which could be fueling the sales, maybe not necessarily airplay. So... Now you really have to look at the album chart and the single chart and look at them differently, which is what we started talking about here, is that some artists in the past have been more classic album sales rather than single, and sometimes they cross over. So it is interesting how you've done an analysis of that and and come to that conclusion. And if you look at that, I think your conclusion does support even the chart today.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think and pointing to the album chart is pretty significant because it it points to a different kind of way that music works. So the idea that these what sells well in terms of albums is not the same as what sells well in terms of songs. And so uh, I remember it, when I first started following Billboard and the Hot 100 chart and looking at the other charts. So we're talking when I first got my first issue of Billboard was May of 88 and Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon was still on the album, the the top 200 album chart. This is like 14 years after it had been released. I think it still holds the record for the, the longest time or longest, certainly consecutive, but the, the longest time on the chart it, it spent something like 14, 15 years on the top 200 chart. And that's kind of crazy to think about, right? That's pretty incredible that a song, that an album could keep selling enough records week by week for 15 years to stay on the chart, you know, long after Pink Floyd's heyday. I mean, in in 88, Pink Floyd was, they had, was it Momentary Lapse of Reason had come Mm -hmm. out in 87 and they charted Not Top 40 with Learning to Fly and they had some other MTV Airplay with Dogs of War and some other songs, but you know this was not Pink Floyd of the '70s and into 1980 where they were as big as they were then. But Dark Side of the Moon just was there. It was a it was a cultural mm-hmm. presence for a decade and a half.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. One of one of the long and I think they called it like catalog sales. I think it's not, just, yeah,
1: they changed it. Yeah,
0: they changed it up. Like you said, yeah. it's, it's changing with the times. It's just the one thing that I think about with music. And I think we talked about this as we started is a lot of people take their music and it's reflection of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think when you find out that the songs that you like didn't chart as high, you can take it as a personal reflection. Like, well, or some people will say, well, that's great. I, I like being underground. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't like being associated with the most popular because it's, it's my choice. You know, it's, one of those things where do you fall with that i mean it's the songs that you like obviously we have roots and what we grew up from and where things have gone but should we be impacted by the chart positions
1: i i think that this is part of what leads leads me to that perspective of seeing the hot 100 chart and other charts as a historical marker that mm-hmm. gives me the sort of uh, more nuanced, complex understanding of things to not take it as a sort of personal affront or to not see it as boy, you know, maybe what I think's popular is not as popular as it is. It allows me to kind of put all that into context.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think what, where, what you're talking about, it, it doesn't affect me because I'm into pop music. And so, you know, that, And I, you know, I especially was when I got into music uh, as big as I did in the late 80s. But I think where it it might play out most significantly is what you talked about with with people who like artists who are kind of underground or who, you know, they define themselves as Mm anti-pop. And when that artist has hits, it almost... It does. It feeds the sold-out...
0: Metallica.
1: Right? So, R.E.M. might be a good example of this. You know, there are lots of folks in the 80s who... You know, they, they loved R.E.M. And, you know, R.E.M. would have a few things that might hit, like, number 60. Or, you know, they might get a little bit of airplay here. But then, the one I love hit the top 10. And that, I don't necessarily know Mm. if that made them feel like the sellout i think so with with the next with uh well not even the next album but two albums later when uh there's a document came it was a document that had um, losing my religion and shiny happy people
0: out of time
1: yeah out of time thank you i'm thinking of the other one before it document right so so when out of time came out and uh losing my religion and shiny happy people both went top 10
0: losing my reception
1: yeah <laughs> or losing my <laughs> erection was the one that i used to hear was the you know so right uh, but yeah losing we used to do losing my reception that's me in the corner that's <laughs> me with the the antenna losing my reception right? right so um that was you know that was seen as where I, I remember folks thinking oh rem sold out they went for pop music now and and i mean part of it was because pop music had changed by 1991 you know we were starting we were hitting grunge we were hitting that that wave of alternative music as popular music And so part of it was well REM fit with the time and so pop, pop music stations played REM because you know they were seen as representative of the alternative wave but at the same time you know the, the idea that our, that REM went with this or that they didn't keep themselves uh-huh. off the chart off of, off of the, the, the heavy rotation airplay, except at places like MTV, that's an example of that idea that, wow. well, okay, they sold out. So I think what you're talking about works with folks who see it as selling out when their artists do well. For other folks, it might play that way. I think, like I said, for me, it really became a matter of learning how to contextualize the chart and say, okay, this isn't a one-to-one score that, you know, that who hit number one matters as much as it has to.
0: hmm Yeah, and that's, you know, songs, albums, so complex, and they really feed into culture. So I really like that historical marker aspect of it because it is something that you reflect upon when people are born. They always want to know what was the number one song born on my birth date, and what was the number one movie, that kind of thing. So if you look back it just kind of gives a picture of that time period. And and really, that's what we're always talking about on TunesMate, this, this idea that songs are a connection back to a past, to something, a memory, and it helps trigger things. So, yeah, I, I think it's completely accurate. It's just sometimes when you hear songs and you're connected with them, it blows your mind that mm-hmm. at that time period, it didn't go as high. <laughs> And right. I think that's what we were really trying to to key on today. Awesome. well, did you have any other final thoughts on this topic? Anything else that you had underneath your your bat utility belt there? No, we
1: went through i mean we went through most of them you know i I got a whole list here of of songs and we hit a couple I might have on my list yet, but I think we kind of we covered the gambit there
0: well. This is one of those things where we probably could go on for probably another 40 minutes talking about <laughs> uh, songs that didn't reach the highest pinnacle that we had hoped. I did have you know more as well on my list, but it is it is fascinating how this is going to continue to happen. You're gonna have these songs that have been out there. They're gonna come back either because of a movie or a resurgence. We're always remaking things over and over. We know there are many other Hollywood hits that are coming out that things are going to get remade. We even even touched on remakes. We started to, talking about Billy Idol. But there are some songs that go higher than others, and you're like, wait a minute, how could that happen? Think about Michael Damien and things like that. So we'll we'll spend some more time in the future on this. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. I'm Ray. Right. Until next time.